The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray now together. So Lord, we, we do believe and we are very, very grateful for the reality that the battle belongs to you. You, you win. <laughs> we're, we're not wondering what the final outcome will be. You will return and you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You will vanquish all your enemies and you will bring your people to yourself into the fullness of your presence, into fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So Lord, we want to walk and step with your Spirit while we're here. We want to follow you and your calling on our lives while we're here. And Lord, we want to see this morning how you use very ordinary people like us to accomplish your purposes. So come now and help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start here with a little bit of a, an announcement, not a little bit of an announcement, kind of a big announcement. Over the last few years, uh, the elders have felt the desire to more deeply and carefully shepherd the flock of God among us at these three congregations. It's a growing desire to do that better, more faithfully. So we took steps to strengthen that aspect of our ministry with the 2020 vision, which included campus-specific preaching, here I am, and family meetings to get together as a family here at the South Campus and talk about life together in that way. And as we've moved in that direction... Our desire as self-elders to care for and equip this particular people in the south suburbs has only grown. We love loving you. And we know we're not perfect, and we've made many mistakes as we've tried to lean in all the more, but we really love loving you. One elder has put it to me this way recently. He said, the way that you're asking us to shepherd is exhilarating and exhausting. <laughs> we love loving you, though. We are for you. And part of our 2020 vision was to task a subcommittee to look at the future structure of Bethlehem. And at our last all-elder meeting, that subcommittee brought a report on structure that we then discussed as an all-elder group. And the result of that report was the statement I'm going to read now and I'm going to put up on the screen for you so that you can read with me. During the 2020 vision, The Council of Elders commissioned the organizational elders to examine the possible long-term structure of Bethlehem Baptist Church. As a result of that work, and as a continuation of our 2020 vision, the elders of Bethlehem Baptist Church now believe that God is leading us to become three distinct churches. So I'm going to let that land on you for a moment. Let you breathe, take it in. I just want to say a few things about it. Number one, our burden as elders is to bring you into this process early. We're bringing you into the process early. We want you more than anything to join us in prayer for this. We need your prayers. We need your prayers. So begin praying. The congregations will need to vote on this at some point. So this is not a foregone conclusion. We can't just do this. You all have to vote on this at some point. So please join us in prayer. Be patient with us as we all together seek the Lord's leading 
on the details and any incremental steps. Number two, we're planning on sharing a little bit more about this vision at our November 21st celebration and again at our self-family meeting, which is December 5th. So those are two upcoming opportunities to hear more about it. Feel free to reach out to us before then. There's a lot that we don't know, so you might get a lot of, I don't know, we're talking about that. I remember my mom when I was a kid saying, when you clean out your closet, it's going to get a little bit more messy before it gets clean. And so we're in the midst of that, just, just looking and praying. And this is a lot we don't know, but we are seeking the Lord's will and feel confident in His leading. We assume, and I want you to hear this line, we assume your prayers and participation will be significant throughout this process. I always say there's no spectators in church. That's for this as well. Number three, as we go along, we'll keep bringing updates and inviting your prayer and participation as next steps become clear. We will communicate as best we can in this process, and there's always an open door to come and talk to us. Number four, if you were going to ask me, am I excited about this? I would say I'm thrilled about this. And if you're going to ask me why, I would say because I think we're moving towards biblical faithfulness, and I look forward to telling you a lot, lot more about that in the coming months. So I want to invite you to pray with us. I really mean that. I invite you to pray, to be on your knees, seeking the Lord, asking questions, participating. This is us together. Now this could feel uh, like an awkward time to announce this. Right? We're right in the middle of global focus. And so you might be wondering, how can we be sure everything will all stay the same? How can you be sure that Bethlehem will continue to care about missions? And what I want to do today is show you from the book of Acts, which I hope you're fairly familiar with by now, that the local church and local churches partnering together, like even local churches in Lakeville and Shoreview and downtown Minneapolis, that local churches partnering together to spread the name of Jesus far and wide has always been God's plan. Right? That's always been God's plan because every local church should give their lives to helping each other trust in Cheshire Jesus. So as I've said throughout Acts, I want us to be a people living ordinary lives that are radically oriented around King Jesus in such a way that our delight in Him overflows to these neighborhoods and these south suburbs and all the way to the nations, and we're going to keep doing that because we love Jesus and we love Him together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us one more time, and we're going to dive into the text here. So Lord, I know, uh, I know that this is a, a big announcement. This is a big moment. And Lord, I pray right now that your Spirit would be poured out on this people. Your Spirit would be poured out on me as we go to the Word. And that we would see in your Word that you mean to work through local churches for the global glory of your name. That we are meant to be a local people with a global heart. So Lord, would you come now and work through your Word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, we're going to dive in here. Point number one, a promise of divine power. So you got your Bibles, skip around with me in Acts today and take a look at it yourself. Acts 1.8, a promise of divine power. Here's what Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Now I want you to remember with me what was said right before Jesus gave this promise. What was going on? Well, the disciples were asking him, is it time to restore Israel? Are are you going to make Israel good? Are you going to restore it? You're alive. You're the king. We see that now. Is it time for Israel to return to greatness? Is it time for that yet? And Jesus responds graciously with a much bigger promise and much bigger mission than Israel. Listen to Isaiah 49, 6, which is speaking about the Messiah to come. Isaiah 49, 6 says, It is to light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's too light a thing, meaning it's too small a thing. Disciples, you're thinking too small. You're thinking too narrow. I'm not here just to restore Israel, just to make Israel great. I'm here to bring my name to the nations. Don't worry about the timing of everything. Don't worry about all the brokenness. Don't worry about all these other things going on around you. Get on task. (laughs) You've got the Holy Spirit, and this gospel is going to the nations. Israel is too light a thing. How much bigger is the mission than one nation? To the ends of the earth. (laughs) To the ends of the earth. Jesus is the light to the nations that the good news of his perfect life and substitutionary death and victory over death and ascension on high for the forgiveness of sins would be seen and loved to the nations starting in this little city of Jerusalem. In other words, don't be obsessed with all the questions and all the timing. Get lost in the mission. I remember my college basketball coach said, you will play best when you worry about the next play. Don't get caught up in all the other circumstances. Don't get caught up in the last five plays or the next 20 plays. Get caught up in the mission, right? You have received power, so go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. So just two points of application. Number one, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, if you haven't thought about that for a while, that should cause you to tremble and to worship. You are filled with all the fullness of God. How we don't just explode, I don't know. But you are filled with all the fullness of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. That should cause you to tremble and worship. And you should know you can't wiggle out from underneath this mission. This is all of our mission. You are a witness to Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. If you read the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes, like in Acts 2 at Pentecost, or in Peter's preaching in Acts 2 or Acts 4, or in Philip's preaching in Samaria, or when the Spirit comes on the Gentiles in Acts 10, keep going through the book. When the Spirit comes, Christ is lifted high. When the Spirit comes, the people praise the name of Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us see and savor and spread Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Him, then He's given you His Holy Spirit to help you keep trusting and treasuring and talking about Him for the rest of your life until you see Him face to face. That's why you're here. 
You have the Holy Spirit. This is your mission. And kids, even if you're only six years old, if you're trusting in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. This is your mission. This is your mission in your neighborhoods and on your playgrounds and at your schools. Who else will tell them about Jesus? Why do you think you're there, kids? So you tell them about Jesus. And number two, second point of application. If you've been consumed with troubles and you just want a little peace and restoration in our country, in our church, well, you're not alone. I would enjoy that too. But it's too light a thing. It's too light a focus. It's too small. It's too narrow. It's not for us to know what Jesus will do in these things. I wish I knew. He gets to choose, but we have received power to keep making Jesus known in our neighborhoods and the nations. So lift your eyes above the fray this morning. He will have a people in the nations. From the nations. He will have a people from the nations. He will have people in your neighborhoods. There are many in these suburbs that belong to Him. So go. Lift your eyes above the fray. Lift your eyes above the distraction. Lift your eyes above all the garbage. You don't feel better after you do it anyways, do you? Get lost in the mission of seeing Jesus, loving Jesus, telling other people about Jesus. Remember the power and calling on your life and walk forward with a big vision of God's purposes, as big as the world. Point number two, a people devoted to the prize. So we see this mission that the light of Christ would go to the ends of the earth. So how will this happen? What we see very early in Acts is Peter preaches, filled with the Spirit, preaches this message of repentance, and people repent, <laughs> cut to the heart. It says, you're sinners in need of a Savior, and they say, what do we do? Right? Don't, wouldn't you like that to happen in your neighborhood? Right? I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, but there's a Savior, and they say, what do we do? And it happens. I, w- I want to tell you testimonies. I've had four or five testimonies coming to my email, and sometime we'll do that, but it happens when we speak the gospel to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to the people we're caring for. Sometimes they say, what do I do? How can I be saved? And so that's what happens. And then God begins to gather his people into churches. Begins to gather them together. These local expressions of his global people. I went through Acts the other day just to kind of plot out the narrative and counted between 15 to 18 local churches. Right? Some of them, I'm not sure if they're quite churches yet, but I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt if it's 18. If it's not, 15. So somewhere between 15 to 18 local churches are the storyline of the book of Acts. Listen to Acts 14.23. You just see Paul's heart as he's completing God's mission. It says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In other words, Paul's going city to city to city, spreading this gospel. The gospel's taking root. What's he doing? Saying, I'm appointing elders. Why? Local churches. That's the mission of the story of Acts, or the story of the mission in Acts. Leaders and people together in every church radically gathered around King Jesus. Radically gathered because they've just been saved from their sins. 
They're not over him yet. They're not done with him yet. They're not kind of bored or lulled to sleep yet by their salvation. It's like he just came, like Jesus just came through the Apostle Paul by the power of the Spirit. Like, how are you not going to gather around him? How are you not going to worship him and pray and fast? You need him. That's what's happening. The gospel moving place to place, the word going out, the Spirit coming and bringing repentance and new life, and people gathering to go, We love this Jesus. We love him. Let's love him together. And what's crazy is that that doesn't seem necessarily like the best strategy. Right, let's get the gospel here, little group gathers here. Get the gospel here, little group gathers here. Get the gospel here, little group gathers here. But it worked. Right? In our day and age, let's have a big event. Right? Let's, let's do a podcast. Let's <laughs> Let's simulcast this thing. Let's have a huge thing happen. That's not how it worked here. And yet the mission worked, right? We finished Acts. The promise came true. The gospel made it from Jerusalem to Rome. And more than that, the gospel made it from Jerusalem to Lakeville. Here you sit, little church by little church, gospel being sent from these little churches going forth to the nations, to here, to Lakeville. Here we are, and it did that through these different local churches. So I just want to take a minute and say, what did these churches do? Right? If, if we saw make it from Jerusalem to Rome, through these local churches, we should say, what did they do? This is a global focus. What did they do? Right? What's the secret sauce in these churches and next? What did they do? Right? What's, what's the secret drink? Like, have you ever seen Space Jam? Maybe not. Right? At halftime, they're really losing. There's a secret drink, and it's going to make them win. It's fake. It's not real. That's kind of my point with the illustration. You'll see. What's the secret stuff? Well, listen to Acts 2, verses 42 to 44, and then verse 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what do they do? What does this people do? They've seen Jesus. And what do they do? They devote their lives to knowing Him and making Him known. They devote their lives to loving God and loving their neighbors as themselves. They're devoted to the Word of God, devoted to one another in fellowship, and devoted to prayer together. That's the Sunday school answer. <laughs> Read your Bible. Pray. Fellowship. Right? What's the secret sauce? It hasn't changed for 2,000 years. Read the Bible. Pray. Fellowship. What's the key word here? They're like it's repeated over and over again, right? They're devoted. They're all in. Jesus hasn't grown stale yet. They couldn't live the same anymore. They couldn't let the other noise in their lives drown him out or the busyness of their lives push him out. Anyone in here ever just said, oh, it's just so hard to find time for Jesus. My life's so busy. Or, man, there's just so much other things going on. It's hard to take the time to listen to the voice of Jesus. And I would just say to you and to me, if we are finding it hard to devote ourselves to Jesus, the one who brought us from death to eternal life, our priorities got to change. It's just that simple. He's worthy. Is he not worthy of our time, right? What would you say out loud to someone else that gets, should get more of your time than Jesus? 
Anything? Anyone willing to go? Facebook. Right? I'm just saying it because you know I'm going to say it, right? Facebook. No, no one's going to say that. But do you get up in the morning, if you're honest, wondering about your notifications, wondering about that story a little bit more than you want to get in your Bible? What's, what's happened? If you think you can live this life in Jesus, simply filling your life with everything else except for a couple hours on Sunday and survive the discipleship that you carry around in your pocket. Survive. This is discipleship happening. And you think that you can just compartmentalize Jesus while your soul is affected and numbed on Instagram and Netflix? Then Satan has got us right where he wants us. Slowly rocking you to sleep by having you compartmentalize Jesus in your life. Jesus will not be compartmentalized. Jesus is Lord. He wants your whole heart and he'll have it. Or, if you think you can live this Christian life alone without others, you think you've got everything figured out better than the rest of the church, you can just do your own thing and not be a part of this thing, then Satan has you isolated right where he wants you. Hiding, unaware of your sin without the prayers of God's people or the encouragement they bring. And not only are you being cheated, but you're cheating others. If you're a part of this family, not only do you need to be around for your good, but we need you around for our good. If he's given gifts in this body, if he's put you in this family, you're needed. You need us, and we need you. How will sin be defeated and love for one another be fostered and people be sent in the power of Jesus' name as we gather to be devoted to Jesus together? No spectators. What happens as they devote themselves to Jesus in word and fellowship and prayer? Well, we see the power of the Spirit comes in sign and wonders. They care for each other, not only spiritually, but physically. There was not a needy person among them. And this very strange people that love each other with self-giving love gains favor with all people. In other words, the people around them are like peeking over their shoulders. Who are these people? Right? They meet each other's needs. They love each other. They, they love their enemies. Aren't these the same people that just a little while ago were always pining for the restoration of their nation? Always going against what was good for our society because they wanted this other utopian society? Isn't that them? And now they're just all about Jesus and self-giving love and loving their neighbors and loving their enemies? They in favor with all people. They hear of the love of Jesus and they, they see the love of Jesus in his people and they're saved. Souls are added day by day. Don't we want to be the kind of place that's compelling to the world around us for our devotion to King Jesus and one another? Do you want to be that kind of place? I'm asking. You're going to be all in, right? Yes. Don't we want to be a place that's compelling to the world around us because of our love for our neighborhoods and because they hear that we keep sending people across the ocean to the nations just to tell people about Jesus? Do you want to be that kind of place? You want the Spirit to move this kind of way. Well, these are the spaces the Holy Spirit goes to work in. People gathered around the Word, gathered in fellowship, gathered and prayed. These are the spaces where He helps us see Jesus. Fight sin, meet needs, send us on mission to our neighborhoods and the nations. If you walk throughout Acts, you'd find that Acts 2 is not alone. But every single local church keeps on doing this. Worship, prayer, word, and they're sent. If you actually follow Paul throughout his little journey, every single place he stops, 
couple people go with him. <laughs> Stops again, couple people go with him as God gathers these local churches and sends them out for the global glory of his name. Point number three, a people dependent in prayer. So I want to zero in on prayer because I think prayer is the fuel of missions. Prayer is the fuel of God's glory among the nations. You'll probably begin to notice if you keep hanging around here with us that almost everything we do is going to be oriented this way. Times around the Word, times of extended fellowship, and times of extended prayer together. If you came on Friday night to abide, that's all we did. Fellowship, Word, prayer for each other. And we're going to keep doing that because that's what the church does. That's how we orient our lives around Jesus. But let's zero in on prayer for just a moment. Listen to Acts 4.29-33. through 33. You can turn there if you want. It's probably a page or so over. Acts 4.29-33. through 33. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So if you were to study revivals throughout history, if we're looking for confirmation throughout history of what's going on in Acts, you might say, Dave, this is just really a one-time thing. Don't put all this on us, right? This is Acts. This isn't us right now. What I would say, if you were to study revivals, there's two elements that you'd see in every single revival that's ever happened. The Word of God preached faithfully and the people of God pray fervently. The Word of God preached faithfully and the people of God praying fervently. And sometimes, it might just be three or four people that gather together to pray for 20 <laughs> 25, 30 years and suddenly God does this work they've been praying for. Sometimes it's that the word of God hasn't been preached faithfully. There's been other things being preached and the word of God is preached faithfully and this Holy Spirit comes in and does this work. But those two elements are always present. And I chose this prayer in Acts 4 because it comes in the context of persecution. And I'll just say it, you all know it, it's getting less and less easy to be a Christian here right now. It's getting less and less easy. It's just happening with laws and with all sorts of things. It's less and less easy to be a Christian here right now. It's far more difficult to be a Christian in Central Asia right now than it is here. Where does this blood-bought family in Acts go when persecution is increasing? What do they do? What's their instinct? They get on their knees together and pray for what? Deliverance from suffering? Not here. It's okay to pray for that. But here what they pray for is boldness. <laughs> they get on their knees and pray for sustaining grace and supernatural power that would make Jesus look great. Are they praying at this point, just a few chapters la later, Lord, make Israel great. No. <laughs> make Jesus great through us. Are they in self-protecting mode? People are taking stuff from us. We've got to protect ourselves. No, they're in self-giving love mode. <laughs> There's people out there against us. 
that hate us, that are raging against us and against Jesus, Lord, help us speak the name of Jesus to them. Help us go on with self-giving love to them. And what happens? The Spirit comes. They speak with boldness. This, this prayer for boldness actually unites them in one heart and soul. That will happen when God's people gather around Jesus and not all the other things that are meant to distract us. All of a sudden our hearts and our souls are aligned. Jesus is great. He's wonderful. Aren't we all in agreement? He's great and wonderful. Shouldn't we tell everyone, right? Isn't that how we knit our hearts and our souls together? They care for each other. The gospel goes forth and people are saved. In other words, God's people have this inclination to pray because prayer is us saying, Jesus, you're king. You're strong and we're weak. We need you. Help us make your name great with how we love one another and the world around us. You're worth it. But we need courage. We need help. It's scary out there. When you walk into a small group or into a corporate worship service, or into a prayer meeting, you should walk in filled with anticipation. Do you get excited on your drive to church? I do. Do you get excited when you come to Friday night worship and prayer time? I do. Do you get excited when you sit at a table on a Wednesday night? I do. Why? Why is that so thrilling? Yes, because God's moving. I'm going to say it like this. Because God promises to meet with us because of the blood of Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to shape us, and to send us. That's what He's always doing. He's going to meet with us to refine us and refresh us and then redeploy us. It is a risky and beautiful thing to be a church like this. It is a risky thing for you because God will not let you just keep doing what you're doing. I don't know what that means for you, but He won't. He's going to shape you and He's going to lead you and He's going to send you and He's going to refresh you and He's going to refine you and He's going to redeploy. He's going to call you to different things, call you to your neighbors, call you to maybe the nations. Maybe this morning you're sitting here going, oh no, I feel like I should go to the nations. That's okay. We'll walk with you through the oh no. Or maybe you're sitting here going, oh no, I need to go to my neighbors. That's okay. We'll walk with you. It is a risky and beautiful thing to walk with a family that lays down all worldly pursuits and comforts and says, King Jesus, we're here for you. We'll go where you want us. It's a risky and beautiful thing, and I'm calling you all into it. In other words, I hope what you're seeing is that as King Jesus saves people, he gathers them together in local churches to help them be family that helps each other keep Jesus as their ever-increasing love and sturdy anchor of their soul. They're called to savor Jesus together, suffer together, fight sin together, and as all that radical orienting around Jesus happens together, as he's lifted up as the savior of our collective souls, as the satisfier of our souls, we together are set free from fear and frustration, from division and distraction to be devoted to knowing him and making him known. Don't you want to be free that way as a people? Just free from fear and frustration and division and distraction. Just know Him and make Him known. That's what your whole life is about. And a people radically devoted to these things cannot keep the message of, to themselves. Right? They can't be content being a holy huddle. Can't happen. Everything in their hearts will say, Jesus needs to be known. 
Jesus needs to be known. He's worthy of global praise. People are lost. Jesus can save. People are running after so many empty things that lead to death. And I know the one that brings fullness of joy and life abundant. A people that does this and Acts 2, and Acts 4, and Acts 13 kind of people cannot just keep it in here and go, we're just going to be safe. Jesus has to be known. It's going to be risky. It's going to be gnarly sometimes. It's going to be messy. I don't want to go there. The waves are big. But we've got to go. We've got to go. Point number four. I think I lost it in my head there. I think we're on four. A people divinely propelled. Listen to Acts 13, verses 2 to 3. While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now in Acts 13, we're not in Jerusalem anymore. Now we're in Antioch. And the church is gathered. And what are they doing? Are you surprised at this point? What are they doing? Right? They're, they're worshiping. They're fasting. They're fellowshipping. There's probably the word and prayer going on here. And notice what God does in their midst as they gather together to orient their lives around Him. He sets a couple of them apart to leave this local church and go on to a different place to make Jesus known. Perhaps God is doing that in your heart right now. He's doing that in your heart right now. He's shaking you loose from your current job, from your current home, and speaking to you right now to go and make him known among the nations. Shaking you loose from all the things that seem safe, that seem comfortable, and leading to where he's really safe, which is right in the center of his will, (laughs) to go where he calls you to go. I love this passage because it's sweet to know that we don't have to move the chess pieces around ourselves. Right? King Jesus will do this work. He will set his people apart and send them. You can see this throughout the whole New Testament. New Testament local churches partnering together to support financially and care deeply for those going for the sake of the name. And we're going to keep doing that here by God's grace. We're going to keep sending and supporting and caring. And God will make clear the funding, the people, and all the other details we need as we walk forward in faith. He will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But how does God tend to do this? I just want to keep saying it. How does he set people apart? What does he do? As his people are gathered around the word and fellowship and prayer together, Jesus looks better and better, and eventually God sets apart a few of those people to say, this is so good, so sweet, and so real. I have to take it to those who have not yet heard it. In other words, the church is the training ground for missions. The church is, is where the heart gets stoked and the affections get fanned to say, I've got to take this somewhere else. What we're doing here on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night and in your small groups, what we're trying to always do is just go, this is reality. <laughs> Jesus is this great. He is this wonderful. He really saved you from your sins. It's all really this good. He's really this good. He's really worth holding on to. And for some people, some in this room, what God will do is say, you take that reality somewhere else. Go tell someone else. Help them see and believe and savor and spread this reality. 
All of us are called to do this across the street to our neighbors, and some of us are called to do this across the ocean to the nations. The local church and global missions are never in competition because Jesus is not in competition with himself for the glory of his goodness to be seen and loved. The local church and global missions are never in competition because Jesus is not in competition with himself for the glory of his goodness to be seen and loved here and everywhere. He gathers people in local churches. He sends people out from those centers of worship to spread that worship to the ends of the earth. Here's the application, a global heart. We gather to worship and stoke each other's affections away from sin and towards Jesus. And every time we're doing this, as we're here this morning, this is just a dress rehearsal for what's coming in all of eternity. Just get to practice over and over again for all of eternity. Listen to Revelation 7. It says, After this I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's what's coming. This is a dress rehearsal, and some of you need to go tell their people so they can stand around the throne with us for all of eternity. Jesus will be a light to the nations. He will be. He's worthy of global glory. I hope you agree with that. Is he not worthy of every single heart giving him every single breath? Isn't that what he's worthy of? Do you know him that way? He ransoms them from tribe and people and language and nation. We don't know the times or the seasons that he has planned for our church or our cities or this nation, but we know God's global plan to save people to the ends of the earth. We know that. He was slain to ransom a people. He shed his blood for you and for me and for people that haven't yet heard. And as he ransoms them, he'll gather them into local families serving one another and seeing the reality of Jesus as supreme in all things. And as those families gather and they stoke each other's affections for the name of Jesus in word and fellowship and prayer, that family says together, this Savior must be known beyond us. He must. He must be known in our neighborhoods. He must be known in the nations. He's calling all of us to go to our neighbors He's calling some of us to go to the nations with his name. Maybe some of you for the first time right now in this moment. And my prayer for us, whatever comes, I don't know the times or seasons, I've given up on figuring almost anything out besides these really basic truths. My prayer for us, no matter what comes, that we would be a local people with a global heart because our king is worthy of global praise. Let's pray. So Lord, we're about to come and eat and drink with you at your table. Lord, what a, what a gracious table this is. We invite sinners like us to come and eat and drink with our Savior.
Lord, I pray that if there's any in here right now that don't yet know that they need forgiveness from Jesus, that having yet trusted Jesus as their Savior, Lord, I pray right now they would say, yes, I want my sins forgiven. I want to be with Jesus forever. That this would be the moment of salvation. Lord, I pray that for those of us in here who have just would confess that we've been distracted and divided. We've been fearful and frustrated, and that's been consuming our hearts. We've been discipled by many other things besides Jesus. Not saying with our lips that they're greater and more important, but living with our lives like they are, Lord. Would you just, in this moment, have sweet gospel grace run across this people as an invitation to just come back. Come back to reality. Come back to Jesus. Come back to your purposes. Come back to your love. To lay down our anger and our pride. Lord, and maybe there's divisions in this body. Lord, I pray that this would be a moment of forgiveness and reconciliation. Lord, maybe you're stirring right now some people in this room to go to the nations. Lord, grant them the courage to obey you, knowing that they are safest in your presence, knowing that the deepest comforts of life will never satisfy their souls, but you will, day by day, moment by moment. Lord, for the rest of us, help us be faithful senders. Care well and give well and love well and carry out this mission to our neighbors. Oh, Jesus, you are so good to us. You are so worthy of all of our praise. Lord, help us worship you. Bring our hearts into alignment with your heart. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.